0: hi and welcome to the circle of film podcast i'm ryan and join me as we step into santa claus conquers the martians and laser mission in today's review episode i can show you the world just take a look through my eyes Over this past weekend, I was on vacation uh, with my girlfriend to her family's house. Uh, it was the first time I really met most of her family. And so that was you know, not really an experience I'd ever gone through uh, because um, p- previous girlfriends of mine, I've known their families before I'd started dating these people. And that was not the situation with my current girlfriend. And hopefully always girlfriend. But I had a really good time over the weekend. I saw her hometown. I saw uh, just her a lot of old pictures of her when she was little. And, and it was just it was nice to kind of get away from Pittsburgh, where I've spent the majority of the last eight years of my life, and see where she spent a lot of years of her life. However, I learned while I was on vacation that many years ago, she and her father discovered this eclectic... Um, I'm going to see if I can find it uh, on, on the computers. Uh, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. Well, <laughs> there's. They, they ended up buying these this 100 uh, box set of sci-fi movies together many years ago that came in two separate sets of 50. And they had the original uh, plan and, and, and agreement that each of them would watch 50 and then they would swap and watch the rest of them. Her father explained to me that he'd only gotten through maybe 10 or so and I don't know when this happened initially, but presumably, I don't know, 10 years ago, give or take. It's been a while. And so clearly he was not having a good go of it. And my girlfriend had probably less less uh, stellar results than he did. And the reason isn't because these are like, long movies, it's not because they're boring movies. It's because these are some of the worst movies ever made. And that's not how this, this box set was advertised. You know, it's advertised as 100 classic sci-fi movies. And while I was there, I watched two of them. Uh, we watched one Saturday night, the night we got there, and Monday night, uh, the night before we left, yesterday. And the first movie we watched, uh, which I've art and I've already, you know, went through the titles. The first one was Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, and the second is Laser Mission. And so today's episode, I'm going to kind of talk about these two movies and just how awful I think they are, <laughs> because man, they are some of the worst movies. Two of the worst movies I've ever seen. They are each the worst movie of their respective years by a significant margin. And some of this stuff, you you can't even make it up. It's so bad. You you couldn't try to make a movie worse this bad in in a lot of these instances. So here we go. And we're going to do Santa Claus Conquers the Martians first. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians starts us off in a year much like the 1960s used to be. Uh, you know, this movie came out in 1964. Presumably it takes place in and around 1964. And the the premise, the plot, uh, you, you see these two Martian children watching TV, uh, or as their parents call them, earth programs. And they are noticeably depressed. They're watching programs about uh, newscasters talking about Santa and Santa coming to visit and Santa coming to bring gifts and, and joy and happiness to all those uh, around. But the kid's not happy because Santa only brings presents to kids on earth. And, uh, you know, Martian children don't have a Santa Claus and really don't know what Santa Claus is. Uh, which kind of is, which already starts us off on a, on a, on the wrong foot, because they don't even know, like, all they know is Santa brings joy and gifts, I guess, and it doesn't even seem like these kids have gifts and, and, like, play with things. They're, they live very mediocre, like, mediocre and, uh, you know, not even, uh, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Um physical goods. uh, They don't, they don't have that stuff. They don't have material, material goods. They don't have material goods in their lives. You know, their food are, is pills. They don't eat real food. They eat pills of food. So I don't, strange. It's weird. It's really weird. And, and, but it just turns out that these two kids, their father, is the leader of the Martians and so he realizes that there's a problem. He convenes a council of I want to say four maybe five Martians and they meet up with uh, I guess you could only call him a Yoda-esque figure who is the ancient Martian who has been around for 800 years And, man, I wish I knew what his name was, but I don't see it on here. Uh, So, yeah, so they meet up with a Yoda-type figure, 800 years old, Martian, who looks absolutely nothing like the current Martians. Like, he doesn't have the same helmets that they do. He doesn't have the antenna. He doesn't have the clothing. So I don't know if any of that stuff's even necessary. doesn't seem to be. Also, the ancient Martian appears and disappears in a cloud of smoke. Does not move otherwise. Uh, Might even not be able to walk or stand. I think he appears like sitting on a rock and disappears from sitting on a rock. Gives them this uh, wise, enlightened wisdom that is they need uh, their own Santa Claus. And so the plot becomes the Martians are going to steal Santa Claus. So, these five brave souls uh, set off to journey to Earth and kidnap one Kris Kringle, but when they when they get to Earth, they realize there's hundreds of Kris Kringles, and they're looking through this like telescope, and three of them, I think, all see different Santa Clauses and say, oh, there's one, there's one, there's one, and then they determine, oh, well, they won't miss one because they have Many of them. So, sure. Uh, Meanwhile, one of the five is a stowaway, I believe, played by (laughs) the character is named as Droppo, uh, who is the kind of slow idiot, and he basically stows away in what the movie shows us is a box or or what generally should be like a panel, a a systems board of wires and lights and buttons and and things that provides the Martian spaceship with a radar-blocking shield, affectionately termed the radar box, Uh, and so labeled in large, bold, black, bolded letters. I said bold twice uh it it displays over the side of this box this box is like as big as a casket it's huge and twice as tall and they realize when they first get there that something's not right because the humans can see that there's something in the air and so they're not supposed to so clearly the radar box is malfunctioning because there's someone in it and that's this guy stowing away so radar box uh ridiculous absolutely ridiculous Mm -hmm one of the best parts about this movie, The Radar Box, because it doesn't make any sense. Why why is it so big? If there's a person that can fit inside it, why does it have that much extra space? You know, spaceships are designed for functionality and to condense space as much as possible. Okay. What ends up happening is the Martians land... And they discover two kids who, prior to the Martians entering the scene, were talking about what would happen if a Martian appeared before them. What a coincidence. And so the Martians ask them to take them to Santa Claus, mentioning that they think that the Earth has too many of them. And the kids are like, no, 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 there's only one Santa Claus. The other Santa Clauses are just Santa Claus's helpers naturally. So the Martians take the kids, kidnapping them, and go to the North Pole, where they find Santa Claus. And the kids, stowing away in, you guessed it, the radar box, or stowing away is not the right term, but like hiding in the radar box, overhear their plot to kidnap Santa Claus. And they determine they've got to warn him. So they do. But it's too late, because the Martians have released uh, this this robot thing uh, called, man, I wonder if I can find that in here anywhere. Um, it doesn't really have drop bow, oh, Kimar. No, I don't think I can. I don't remember the name. Maybe it's... Ah, jeez, I don't remember the name of the robot, but they send this robot in that becomes immobilized as first it catches the kids who've escaped. Then it becomes immobilized when it enters the toy shop because it's a toy. Yeah, it, it, it turns into a toy when it enters the toy shop because Santa Claus sees it as a toy. <sighs> Meanwhile, outside of the workshop, there's this human looking like uh, this human shaped polar bear that attacks everybody for no reason and of no consequence. Inside the workshop, the Martians pull out these laser type guns that shoot freeze rays. They. And, you know, to quote Dr. Horrible, not an ice beam, not an ice ice ray, no, a freeze ray. So it stops the people. It doesn't ice them or, or freeze them in that sense. It just makes them immobile. He does that on like two of the elves there. And I think he also does it, they do it on Mrs. Claus. They kidnap Mr. Claus, Santa Claus, take him and the children back to Mars. Uh, with, not without, multiple attempts to kill Santa Claus and the kids along the way by the bad Martian, who wants to, who thinks this is all the wrong idea and thinks this is stupid. So, so you know, the the they get to Mars. The Santa Claus starts making toys for the Martian children. You know, there's a scene where the kids are sitting there, sad, down looks on their face, and the parents say look what we brought you, and in walks Santa Claus, and he looks at the kids, does not say a word, and starts laughing, Uh, just laughing, and as you know, laughter is infectious, and so the kids also start laughing, and snap your fingers, everything's okay, the Mars is happy again, Santa's happy again, and he's free to go back home except he isn't, because they're going to keep him on Mars forever to manufacture toys, to turn make the kids happy, and uh, because now there's a Martian Santa Claus. And, of course, as things turn out, you know, the movie ends up with uh, the Martians finding their own Santa Claus and Santa being able to return back to home. Uh, pretty, pretty awful. It's very short. It's only like 80 minutes long. And, uh, it's, 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 oh man, it's, it's nigh unwatchable, nigh unwatchable. For reference, it has a 1.7 on Letterboxd, which is insanely low. It's a 2.5 on IMDb and is currently ranked the number 77th bottom rated movies of all time, uh, which is insane. Uh, it's, it's so poorly, poorly, poorly rated. And from me personally, I gave it a 1, uh, It's which makes it 11 points lower than the next lowest movie from that year, which is The Cage. Uh, it's a short film that is described by me as a bunch of experimental symbols. That film got 11 more points than Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Now, I won't say it wasn't funny and, and in a so-bad-it's-good way, but on that kind of a sliding scale there does become a point where a movie that is so bad it's good becomes that bad again and i think this movie just like shoots off the end of that scale it's it's bad then it becomes so bad that it's funny and you know like the radar box everything involving the radar box is hilarious you know just the just the the terrible terrible dialogue the, the mannerisms of all the characters, the inconsistencies throughout different scenes, uh, the the lack of continuity, it ultimately ends up further past the so-bad-it's-good realm and becomes just bad again. Despite how humorous and, and cringeworthy and groan-inducing this movie is, it's terribly, terribly difficult to... to uh, t- just to, to stomach... As a film, and film is is man. It's kind of insulting to even give it that term, to be honest. <sighs> and yeah, there's there's a lot I'm sure I'm missing and that should be brought up and deserves to be talked about. You should just watch it for yourself. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on iTunes. You know, you can find it fairly easily. Um, it's on like YouTube. Amazon Video, Google Play, IndieFlix, um, and so you know it's it's not trying to hide from you. It's out there and it's bad. So that's Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, uh, directed by Nicholas Webster, starring no one you've ever heard of. Awesome. The second movie is Laser Mission. Laser Mission came out in 1989. Uh, so. We're dealing with a much more recent film in this respect and actually has a couple of stars attached to it in Brandon Lee and Ernest Borgnine. Yes. Uh, Brandon Lee, obviously, uh, of the Crow fame and son of Bruce Lee. Uh, he is in this movie that's, that's certainly saying something. Ernest Borgnine, uh, who is uh, Oscar winner, um, I believe, for his role in Marty, which is a Best Picture winner, he's been in From Here to Eternity, Uh, he's been in Escape from New York, Gattaca, um, as well as many other movies uh, that have certainly made their mark. The Wild Bunch, Johnny Guitar, uh, The Dirty Dozen. You know he's he's got he's got some credits to his name. You know he's. He's been around the block. He's a well-known, well-respected actor who lived to be 95. 95. And this is one of his 142 credits on Letterboxd. Uh, so big big name, big name. That's it. But that's two more names than uh, our previous movie had, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, directed by BJ Davis, who this is the only movie of his I've seen. Uh, this so first off the bat, isn't even a sci-fi movie. He the there's it's called Laser Mission. Uh, the general conceit is there's a giant diamond, and a professor. And somehow combining the two th- of those things, you get a nuclear weapon. I don't know how that works. You know I've seen the movie and they don't explain. How that works they they talk about lasers and laser missions. Uh, you don't see any lasers however, but you're supposed to believe that they're there. And so as far as I'm concerned, this is an action movie. it is not a sci-fi movie. you know there's no actual sci-fi being used in this uh, so so take that for what it is. but it is a laser mission. so I guess interesting cool title that is used in the movie. Poorly, Uh, but the general movie is uh, Brandon Lee is tasked uh, with getting this professor Ernest Borgnine, so that they can protect his knowledge from Russia, and uh, also so that they can, and also to get the diamond that was stolen. He does not do either of those things, or in the first fifteen minutes of the movie, and so the CIA sends him back out to try to do those things for real, this time finding the supposed daughter of Ernest Borgnine, played by Debbie Monaghan, and teaming up to find his kidnapped father and her kidnapped father and rescue and save the world. Now, uh, I mentioned Russia in this movie, and I will also mention Cuba, and Germany, and... Uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of other countries involved in this movie and I'm not sure how or in what way. Uh, South Africa, uh, Namibia are listed on Letterboxd as countries that this movie takes place in. But as far as I'm like, I don't know, it, it just, it doesn't, it's all over the place. There's, you know, people are changing accents from the minute Uh, There are characters who don't, who appear to be enemies, who reveal themselves as good guys, but we don't know why they're good guys and why they were enemies in the first place, and, you know, it it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, But, on the other hand, it is your standard sort of uh, CIA action thriller, in which case Brandon Lee and his sidekick... Debbie Monahan just beat, beat up and kill and battle people, and there's set pieces and car chases and gunfights and, and fisticuffs, and then they find the professor and save him. You know, that's pretty much the plot. There's not much more to it. There's a very, very interesting car chase that I just can't imagine viewing from above, like, kind of like one of those maps you might see of with like large pictures of people to where they are and like tracking their movements that trying to figure out what that would look like sounds fantastic insane to me because there are moments where cars drive off of piers where no other car has driven like near and so like I don't know why that car was over there in the first place how it careened out of control when nothing was in its way why it went over the edge of the pier, how it couldn't stop, why it didn't see that there was a pier, like it doesn't there was no pier to begin with. uh you know and and so there there's man there's there's a lot less to really discuss about this movie because there's a lot less going on. You know, the acting is terrible, but it's even worse because it's coming from people who actually know how to act. Like I've only seen Brandon Lee in The Crow, but at least in The Crow, I bought him as an actor. Don't buy him as an actor in this. Debbie Monahan, terrible. Ernest Borgnine, awful. Uh, Whoever else these other people are, just irredeemable. Irredeemable. And, you know, there's parts where they're traveling, walking through the desert. She's been walking in heels for like a day straight. And. Then, like, randomly, guys just show up in the desert to fight them. And, like, they sneak up on you in the desert. Uh, It's a desert. There's no trees. How are you hiding from someone in the desert? Man. I just, it's incomprehensible what this movie is trying to do and how it's trying to do it. And how the fight scenes are, are choreographed. And, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, there's the final bad guy. And Debbie Monahan's character has him at gunpoint. Rather than finish him off, rather than kill him, rather than immobilize him, she drags him away from everyone else where he frees himself and holds her at, I think, knife point, ultimately uh, which almost makes sense because at the, at this point in the movie, you know that she's not who she says he is. So maybe she's not a good person. Fine. I can, I can buy that twist and, uh, I get it, but that's not the truth because she is on the good, like on the right side of this, this conflict. So I don't know why she's failing to, to do what needs to be done to this guy and puts herself in, in danger Just to make Brandon Lee have to save her, like that's clearly what happened. Because clearly she's a woman and couldn't do enough herself. Because this is 1989, and if she would, you know, been able to pull it off by herself, then why do we need Brandon Lee? And you know, because you know, just I don't want to keep talking about it. It's bad. Don't watch it. They're both bad, but I mean, free feel to watch it. I guess I don't. They're fun. They're really hilarious. Uh, for all the wrong reasons. Speaking of which, Laser Mission from 1989, as I mentioned, worst film I've seen from that year, I gave it a four. Uh, So four times better than Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, uh, which puts it 10 points worse than the previous worst film from 1989, which is How to Kiss, uh, which is a short animated film. Um, It's only six minutes long. Uh, but that's that's uh, Laser Mission and Santa Claus Conquers the Martian. And uh, one other thing I wanted to uh, go through, and this pertains to Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, is there's a poster for Santa Claus Conquers the Martians on Letterboxd. I don't know if it's, uh, I'm guessing it's on IMDb as well. No, it's a different poster on IMDb. So on this particular poster... Uh, It says, Santa Claus brings Christmas fun to Mars, blast off from Mars with Santa and a pair of Earth kids, science, fun, fiction at its height. So completely ignoring the fact that he's kidnapped. But then at the bottom it says, C, colon, the Martians kidnap Santa, Santa's North Pole workshop, the fantastic Martian toy factory, Earth kids meeting with Martian kids, spaceship journey from Earth to Mars. Santa turn Mars robot into a mechanical toy. That's the movie. That's the whole movie. That It's, it's bonkers. It's absolute bonkers. Santa turn Mars robot into a mechanical toy. He looks at it and calls it a toy. Is Santa magic? I mean, he must be. He fits through chimneys, reportedly. And, you know, we don't see any of it because they don't have a freaking budget. But... Spaceship journey from Earth to Mars. They're in a spaceship. We don't see the outside of it, I think. We might see it, the outside of it, but for like 20 seconds. Uh, man. Earth kids meeting with Martian kids. I think they just like laugh at each other and like greet each other. The fantastic Martian toy factory, which makes no sense. They They rewire it in the movie. And so Santa tries to create a baseball bat. And a baseball bat comes out with a tennis racket head instead of the end of the baseball bat. Or they try to make uh, a doll toy and a teddy bear and the bo- they both come out with their heads swapped. Oh man, I don't... <laughs> yeah. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. And Laser Mission. So, two fantastic movies, both very short Both filled with laughter and absurdity and badness, and uh, so go watch them. They're hilarious and entertaining. That's going to do it for my two movie reviews. Uh, Stick around uh, after the after the interlude to hear about this past weekend in Fantasy Movie League. Week 2 of the Fantasy Movie League's Fall 2017 season is in the books, and uh, mm-hmm. there's been quite a bit of uh, movement in the fan- in the Realists Fantasy Movie League. But before we jump into that, just a look at the week overall. It was a week dominated by it. You know, a $13.5 million preview uh, Thursday night broke out into a $123 million weekend. And if you were like me and you jumped on two uh, screens of Friday because you thought the movie was going to be front-loaded, uh, you know, you got a lot of money off of that, but it's not going to get you number the top spot uh, anytime soon because the perfect lineup ended up being two screens of Saturday, one screen of Sunday, one screen of Annabelle Creation, two screens of The Emoji Movie, and two screens of The Nut Job 2. Uh, Saturday, Saturday only it, taking the best performer this week, uh, and Sunday having a great day too, both of them were about $130,000 per FML buck, which is very, very high, whereas Friday uh, was about uh, one hundred three, hundred four thousand dollars $104,000 per FML buck, so there's a pretty significant gap there, but all in all, they, uh, yeah, the the movie did amazingly, amazingly well. And only seven people in the whole website got perfect cineplexes. Uh, So, not a lot of people really, you know, clued in to what was going to make the most money, but there were, uh, there was a pretty big range of lineups in Cinerealist League. And so, let's just take a look at that. So, um, Winning the league uh, for us is uh, someone who's just entered the league. This is their first week in it. So they missed week 1 but joined us for week 2 and uh, given the fact that they won this week, I'm including them in this season because um, they might have a hole to dig themselves out of but uh, at this rate they're on track to do so. And that is the infamous. The infamous, uh, if I just take a Quick cursory glance at their history, uh, they finished in the top four hundred in summer this season, uh, finishing three hundred ninety eighth overall, uh, which is very good, I would say. Uh, you know that's nothing to scoff at. Um, and um, see, I'll try. I'll go back to spring as well, just to see how they did on spring. so in spring they finished 14,432nd which indicates to me that this was their first season and as it is yes so they didn't even start until week 11 of spring which makes perfect sense Uh, so spring uh summer had a great summer season and now moving on to the fall joining the center league awesome welcome Number two, uh, so the infamous had Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, but instead of uh, Annabelle, Emoji, Emoji, Nutjob, Nutjob, they had Spider Man three times and then a job twice. So they didn't miss by much, but that's a big five million dollar difference, uh, roughly. Uh, number two for us this season or this uh, this week was Kirstine H. Jensen Cineplex, who had one Saturday, two Sundays, and five screens of Annabelle followed up by last week's winner, Xanadu's Fantasy Picture Showcase 3, who had two Saturdays and six Annabelles. Next up, you had uh, previous winners, Rybone and Keel Music, tied in fourth with Friday, Saturday, Annabelle, Annabelle, and four Spider-Mans. In uh, sixth, The Flex, Friday, Saturday, Annabelle, four Dunkirks and a Despicable Me, three. Seventh, Perk's Plex, Friday, Saturday, six Spider-Mans, The Box Officer, Friday, Saturday, Wind River, Wind River, Annabelle, Nutjob, Nutjob, Nutjob. Derek, uh, who had Friday, Saturday, Hitman, Leap, Dunkirk, Despickle Me, Despickle Me, and Nutjob. And rounding out the top ten, Cinemedia Theaters with Friday, Saturday, and six Logan Luckies. You will notice that um, previous winners, myself and Zach, not in the top ten this week because we both finished tied for 15th. With a screening with screens of Friday Friday the Emoji Movie and four Nut Job twos, leaving one screen blank. Uh, and uh, you also did not hear James who screened six Home Agains and two Hitman Bodyguards, and uh, yeah, so not a great week for us. Some of, some of the big ones two two of the four previous winners not doing so well. However. On the whole, uh, that changes the season rankings uh, to Xanadu's fantasy picture showcase number three holds on to the lead with 182 million. Number two, previous winner Rybone at 177 million. Keel Music in third, 173 million. Kirsten H. Jensen jumps up to fourth with 172 million dollars. Perks Plex, uh, familiar territory in fifth place with 169 million. The box Officer... Uh, about 100k behind him. Uh, Zach at 166 million, so he drops to seventh place here, Uh, currently his lowest uh, placement to date. Uh, Derek in eighth, 163 million. Myself in ninth with 161 million, my lowest uh, space to date. Derek also is uh, in eighth place. This is his first season with us, uh, I'm not sure if he spent any of the summer season doing practice runs. He did. He did. He did participate in some of the summer season, uh, but this is his first full season in the Cinderella League. And uh, eighth is a good, good large launching off point for sure. And rounding out the top ten on this season is Sven Cinema with 160 million dollars. So only 22 million dollars separates the top ten right now, which isn't. A lot, you know. It's definitely uh, not generally going to be surpassed, uh, gained in a week, but is certainly a hole to be that can be dug out of. Uh, speaking of which, pointing this out, uh, hopefully James is listening to this. James, uh, through his first two weeks, has uh, rallied, tallied one hundred twenty-one million dollars, uh, which is fine. Uh, It's good enough for 18th place right now. Uh, However, uh, last week's winner, The Infamous, who has not missed week one, is currently in 17th place with $129 million. Uh, So half the amount of time, $8 million more earned. Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, So that is the first week that the Infamous has won. They are one for one, which is highly impressive. And uh, we'll see if they can uh, ride that up the rankings. They are debuting at 17th, but certainly uh, seem to be poised to make a run at the top 10, if not the top five, depending on how the rest of us can uh, can do. Uh, moving on, no one got the PC this week, Perfect Cineplex, so nothing to add there. And uh, then best performers, there were a maximum of two that you could get this week, and the only person in the seat in the site for our league that got that was the infamous. Uh, so a couple of people grabbed one here and there, and interesting at this point, uh, Santa Cruz Fantasy Picture Showcase leads the way in the season with four best performers picked uh, currently. Uh, also leading the season so some correlation there uh, however if you look at um if you look at the number of best performers per this season there are only two people uh, three there are three people in the cinerealist league that have not played a best performer in the first two weeks uh, that is current last place finisher and first uh Currently, in last place, nineteenth, and uh, who's in their first season ever uh, in the Surrealist League, that's Director's Cut, uh, who has not yet played a Best Performer. Uh, also, currently ranked sixteenth is Film Obsessed Thirty Five, who has not yet played a Best Performer, uh, despite having played twenty-eight in the first four seasons, so averages seven a season, and uh, not it has zero currently. And the third person is actually me. I have not yet played a best performer um, Which is a big reason why I'm in ninth and not further up the list uh, I got really trigger happy about this Friday thing last week and uh, that cost me a bit a bit of money Unfortunately, so we're gonna see if I can right that ship uh, But it's, uh, it's It's tough. It's not an easy thing to do so, all that being said, i um, just wrapping this up here. Uh, if we look at the overall power rankings and how they relate to uh, this current season. Killmusic remains in first. Uh, he's got a score of 15.95 and currently placed third right now. Uh, I'm still in second, but I've dropped down to 11.9. Big gap there uh, with my current position of ninth. Rybone has actually overtaken third place uh, with his current second place finish. Shawbin has dropped down to fourth in seventh. Perksplex S- yeah, still in fifth as ever. Uh, Swagner, who is, I believe, not participating in this season, uh, his Cineplex auto filled in for itself this past week. So I currently have him not in this season. He is currently ranked sixth overall, though. Xanadu has made a huge leap up to seventh. Uh, With his current first place finish. And uh, that would be incredible. You know like. i had been hypothesizing from the beginning. That one of the four previous winners. Was going to win this season. And I'm still. I still think that's the case. But looking at the current rankings. For this season. You've got. um, You've got Xanadu in first place. Who has never finished above seventh. So that's already impressive. Uh, Rybo and Kill Music are in second and third, but then Christine H. Jensen's currently in their best spot yet in fourth. Perksplex still in fifth, you know, never counted out. The Box Officer showing their best season in sixth. Uh, Zach's in seventh. Uh, Derek is debuting himself in eighth right now, which is very impressive and definitely has room to grow. Uh, plus, you know, I would not count out the infamous who might be in 17th right now, but that's like they're not in last and they missed the first week. So, certainly, certainly uh, a lot of ground to be covered and gained by a lot of people. Um, you know, myself included. Hopefully, this includes James, who is currently tying his lowest performance in a season to date. And uh, we all want to see everyone else do well, don't we, guys? So, just a small preview for this week. If you haven't checked out what's coming up, It is now solidified as a single screen worth $800. Uh, You've got American Assassin and Mother debuting this week at $167 and $143 respectively, followed by holdovers like Home Again, Hitman's Bodyguard, Annabelle, Wind River, Leap, Spider-Man, Dunkirk, Logan Lucky, The Emoji Movie, Despicable Me 3, and Girls Trip. Rounding out the 15th slot is Best of the Rest. Priced at the same level as Girls Trip, uh, Best of the Rest just becomes whatever movie does better outside of the ones listed. So, if a movie outside of the ones listed does better than Girls Trip, Best of the Rest is a better value than Girls Trip. And uh, depending on theater counts, Best of the Rest could end up being the movie to pick. So, keep that in mind. Uh, Definitely an interesting element of the game. You know, I haven't seen Best of the Rest that often... Last time I saw it, it was the best performer, uh, but this time ta- this week doesn't look like there's a lot for it to draw from. I think the best the best performer's gonna come from somewhere else. I do think you know statistically this week weekend has a lot of strong holds by most uh, movies across the board. So keep an eye on that and uh, keep looking at the chatter and keep doing everything you can to find the best performer and reach the perfect Cineplex. Thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in other information about this podcast, about the spreadsheet myself, or anything else, the Circle of Film Awards, the Scavenger and Superlatives, head over to circleoffilm.com. If you are, you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, you can direct those to film at gmail.com. If you would like to... Uh, donate any uh, if you'd like to contribute to the show in any way shape or form check out patreon.com slash circle of film for information about that uh, various reward goals and uh, tiers and finally uh, if you would like to join this uh, cinerealist fantasy movie league head over to fantasy movie league search for the cinerealist join the group password hey guys one word no space lowercase and as always, have a week. So long, farewell. I'll be to take the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades. Wait a minute. So long!